Um, okay, well, that was a lot, but my name is Malia, and I am the director of our college ministry here. Um, yes, it is my full-time job. I love it. I love hanging out with college students. I've been more or less a part of this college ministry for almost nine years, which is crazy, but um, there is nowhere else I would rather be on a Thursday night than here with you guys. So um, that's who I am. If I haven't met you yet, we'd love to you after this. But at Awaken, we have been doing a series called Renewal. That's an awesome graphic. And what I love about this is it's very intentionally created so that it starts off really broken. And as you go, it gets a little bit more refined. And so we have been talking over the last three weeks now about what renewal actually is. And we've done that in a few different ways. The first week, Dawson led us in what the foundations of renewal are. And he talked through a few, few truths that you need to know before um, you can begin the renewal process with the Lord. The second week, Chris shared about how we meet with God in our loneliness and how we lean into his voice and how we press in when you're sitting there like, I feel really alone or I don't know what to do. Um, and God renews us in that place when we choose to meet with him there. And then last week, Stosh took us through Psalm 51 and really what it means to be waiting on God and the renewal that he does in that. And Psalm 51 is essentially an inside look to David's heart at one of the lowest points in his life. If you don't know a lot about the Bible, you have probably still heard of David at some point in your life. Um, he is a very famous character of the Bible. Um, there's a lot about him. A lot of the Bible talks about him. But in this psalm in particular, he was at a very, very, very low moment in his life. And in verse 10, he's crying out to God and he says, God, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He was desperate for God to meet him there and to renew him. And what he asked for in that prayer is a renewed or a pure heart, excuse me, and a steadfast spirit. In some translations, we'll say a new heart and a steadfast spirit. And so tonight, we're going to switch gears a little bit and jump into what it looks like for a renewal of the heart, like David prayed. Sound good? Sweet. Um, if you want to go ahead and flip open to Ezekiel 36 in your Bible, it's kind of one of those that you forget about, if we're being honest. Um, it's in the Old Testament, and Ezekiel is the main character of the story. Imagine that. And Ezekiel's kind of a weird book, I'm not going to lie. There's some weird things happening there, so I'm going to give you a little bit of context before we jump in. But we're in the Old Testament, and if you haven't read too much of the Old Testament, I'm going to give you a few spoilers. Um, a lot of it is about the Israelites. So the Israelites are God's chosen people. He said, this is my people, and I'm going to use them in significant ways. And they were a hot mess, right? If you read the Old Testament, it's basically the same story again and again and again, where they completely mess up, rebel against God, reject him. And then say, oh, shoot, we messed up. God, would you please help us? And in his kindness and his mercy, he says, sure. They work it out. And then Israel turns around and does it all over again and again and again. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I feel like that's my life sometimes. Where I'm like, messed up. God, help. And then he does. And then a few weeks later, I'm like, oh, here we are again. <laughs> Is that just me? Anyone else? Okay. Great. It's not just me. Thank you. So our cycles and our, our 
cycles that we go through may look a little bit different than the Israelites, but honestly, when we mess up and we go to God and we're like, hey, I did it again. (laughs) Can you help me? Um, We get stuck there, right? And tonight, I think God is offering some insight as to why that happens through the passage of Ezekiel 36. Right, so Ezekiel context. Um, Ezekiel was an Israelite, so he's part of God's chosen people. He's part of the Cool Kids Club. And um, he's also a prophet. So back then, there was a, a disconnect between God and people. Whether you were an Israelite, Israelite or not, um, there had to be some sort of mediation between you and God. So there were all kinds of ways that they had, like, purification rituals that they had to go through, all of these lengthy steps and laws and rules they had to abide by so that they could be pure enough to go into the temple. And it was a lot. Honestly, if you read many of the rules and stuff in the Old Testament, you're like, people really lived like this just to meet with God? Yes, they did. And so they needed mediators. And the the main ways that they needed mediators were someone to... Um, mediate between them and God for forgiveness of their sins, and those were called priests. So priests would go into the temple, make sacrifices on your behalf, and say, okay, you are now right with God again. Or there were prophets, and prophets would speak to you um, on behalf of God. Ezekiel was both a priest and a prophet, so he kind of had all his bases covered there. So he's an Israelite, And um, at this time in his day, he's living in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem gets attacked. Now, they had been kind of off the rails for a little while. They've been rebelling against God, worshiping other gods, which is a big problem for the only God. He's like, that's kind of the one deal breaker here. (laughs) And um, they choose to do it anyways. So they're a hot mess, like we said. And so this enemy nation called Babylon attacks Jerusalem. And Jerusalem's still standing, we're still good, but they do take a lot of the people there as captives, and unfortunately for Ezekiel, he is one of them. So he's in exile, and he's having this moment where he's like, what is going on? And God gives him crazy visions, and he gives him instructions, and he gives him warnings for the Israelites so that they can turn from their sin and their craziness and turn back towards God. Naturally, they don't listen all that well because that's something they're very good at. I get it. We're all people. We mess up. But around chapter 33, Jerusalem is struck down for good. Jerusalem has fallen. It's not looking good. And Ezekiel's kind of like, God, (laughs) this is looking really hopeless right now. Like, no one's listening to me like you said they would, but they're not still. We lost our city. Everything as we know it is kind of up in the air and falling apart. What do we do? Have you ever been in that position where you're like, God, everything is not looking good. What do we do? Well, there's good news. Because there is good news for them. There's good news for us. Chapter 36, we're going to start in verse 22. And some of the phrasing gets a little funny here because it's the Lord speaking to Israel saying, tell, or speaking to Ezekiel to talk to Israel. So he's saying, tell them this. And so just track with me here. So the Lord is speaking to Israel through Ezekiel saying, therefore, say to the house of Israel, it is not for your sake that I'm about to act, I being God. 
but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What I see here is that naturally we as people come with a heart of stone. And God's calling it out here to Ezekiel. He's saying, I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Because stone is cold and hard and inanimate and heavy. No one really wants to carry that around, right? But we see the evidence of a heart of stone all around us. Like Pete said, if you turn on the news for like 60 seconds, what do you see? War, violence, exploitation, manipulation. Humanity's default is not all that pretty. But he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, that's what he does. Right off the bat, he gives us a heart of flesh. And that's kind of interesting, right? Because as Christians, whether you know it or not, we kind of have this weird secret language. Some people like to call it Christianese. Where we use English words, but like in a very different way than most English speakers use them. And so it sounds like it's secretive. It's not. We just all know what we're talking about for some reason. Um, so usually when we as believers talk about the flesh, it's not a good thing. We're usually referring to sin or human nature or our brokenness, our messiness. We're like, ooh, that's pretty fleshly. Or, I don't know. That's a weird adjective, but we use it. It's not good. And yet here, God describes giving us a heart of flesh. And we know God. We know his gifts are good. So that's kind of an interesting thing, right? He's using flesh in the context of something good that we should want. So when in, excuse me, while we in our humanity begin with hearts of stone, it's not... It's not what we're made to carry. Like nothing about us is made out of stone, right? So the replacement that he offers instead is something that actually belongs in us. It's a heart of flesh. What he's depicting is using a language of a heart that is fully alive. Would any of you guys describe yourselves as a plant mom or dad? Okay, we got a few. So I am most definitely not <laughs> at all. Um, I have a tiny, tiny little cactus that I got like a year ago. And I looked at it this week, pretty sure it's very dead because I keep it in a dark bathroom and I think I've watered it twice. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> um, but <laughs> that's what happens when you don't take care of a living thing, right? It dies. 
If you don't check on it, if you don't tend to it, if you don't do the things that you need to to keep it alive, it will slowly die. And our hearts are not that different. If we don't care for them rightly, it will start to look how it used to. Cold and hardened and lifeless. Before we get too deep into this, please hear me that in that, that does not negate the work of renewal that Christ has already done in you, okay? So as we're talking about um, a heart of stone being turned to a heart of flesh, if you're like, oh, I think, I think my heart has hardened a little bit, don't start like questioning like, am I okay? Like, am I saved? Am I? No, if you have already surrendered your life to Jesus, he has done a work of renewal in you. And I think often when we start talking about this, the, the enemy likes to bring in shame. And he's like, ooh, you should be doing a lot better than you are. See what they're talking about? They're talking to you. And you're probably, you're probably not doing as well as you thought you were, okay? So don't, don't go that route. We're not talking about shame right now. We're talking about getting right with the Lord. He's already done a work of renewal in you, and he will continue to do so if you let him. But it is important that we talk about it because as followers of Jesus, we have to be okay, guys, with recognizing the parts of us that don't look like Jesus yet and letting him actually transform them. And he often does that in the community of other believers. Because when we're in a community like this and we start going off rails a little bit, we have people around us that are like, hey, I don't think that's actually true. Or hey, um, you're taking that to an extreme that is unhealthy. Bring it back in, right? We need people around us that also know the truth of God's word that can bring us back to a place where we're like, oh yeah, that's true. What I'm thinking is not true, but this is true, okay? So we need the community of other believers and Jesus will often bring transformation in those spaces because he knows we need it. So there's no shame in saying, feeling, in saying, I feel like I've taken a couple steps back or I'm not where I thought I was but we need to appropriately deal with it. Sound good? Okay, so I believe that there are two root beliefs that cause us to harden our hearts and start reverting back to that, like, more stone-like heart. You know what I mean? And I'll get to what those are in a minute. But I think that the symptoms of those belief, beliefs and the way that they play out tend to differ um, from culture to culture, in different times of history. Like, the way that they actually are expressed generally can look a little bit different. But what we're going to talk about tonight is our context here. So a college student or young adult in America in 2023. And I think where I see this the most prevalent is how we often will tune out life and do pretty much whatever we can to escape it. And when we do that, it hardens our hearts. See, we're a part of the most stressed out and anxious generation in history. That's not an opinion. That's like, there are facts to back that up where it's like, yeah, this generation's looking a little bit rough. So it's understandable that we tend to numb ourselves and want to escape and avoid the world around us. And that's become extremely normal. Like we have normalized binge watching for hours TV. Again, we're not going to shame, right? We're just... We're saying, okay, Lord, what needs to be worked out in my heart here? 
And at this point, that sort of life is kind of an automatic way of living, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure that we're aware of it. Here's some examples. And I am not calling out anyone in particular, so if you feel like I'm talking to you, that's the Holy Spirit, not me. <laughs> some of the things that we do are we fill our schedules to their maximum capacity with things that God never asked us to do. And I understand that there's seasons where God will ask us to stretch ourselves and he'll ask us to do things that take up a lot of time and energy and resources, and it's a lot. And sometimes that looks like a really full schedule. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about allowing other people and things to de demand more of your time than you actually have to give. And you're saying yes because you're either terrified to say no and let someone down or you're so afraid of actually being still and alone that you just go from thing to thing to thing and never give yourself the space to actually meet with God there. And it desensitizes us and diminishes our ability to be present and aware of what's actually going on around us. That will harden a heart real quick. Speaking from experience, let me tell you. And suddenly we're lashing out at a friend or we're having trouble connecting with God and we don't know why. And he's like, you haven't given me an ounce of your time or space. Does that make sense? Another example. Instead of dealing with homework or a difficult roommate situation or our own thoughts, which let's be honest, can be a little scary at times, we get on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram for hours. But the problem with that is we can't numb ourselves from the hard things without also numbing ourselves from the things that make life enjoyable. Like when was the last time you were on YouTube for several hours or whatever it is that you use and you got off and you're like, wow, I suddenly have so much more motivation and creativity to do things than I did a few hours ago. I have personally never heard of that. Not saying it's not real. Just throwing that out there. Another way that we harden our hearts is by choosing to meet with God only on our own terms. We dictate when and where and how and what we talk about based on what's convenient or comfortable for us. We're not willing to ha let him have a say in what our relationship with him looks like because then we may need to let go of some of our control. And guys, when we, when we block out God and we say, you can do whatever you want, only if it's X, Y, and Z. Then soon enough, he gets a little bit more distant. And that's not, that's not his fault. He is merciful and kind, way more than we deserve. And so when we push him out, he respects that, actually, often. Not all the time, but often. And then we say, God, where are you? He's like, you didn't want to meet with me. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Or we know how to look and sound really good. We know the answers to all of the Christian questions. We go to every church event, but we don't actually know how to meet with God because then it would require hard conversations with him and some discomfort. Again, there's no shame here. There's, God, where have, has my heart been hardened towards you and how do we address that? Because we want to be people that are renewed. That's why we're here, hopefully. We want to be renewed in Jesus. And so if there's parts of us that are not, then we want to let him in. 
I think that all of these, in, in every other example you can think of, come from either the belief that we don't need God, or at least not as much as everyone else says we do, or that we don't trust that he is who he says he is. We're not sure that he's as good and kind as he says, and so we're like, I'm, I'm going to take it from here. I'm going to take some control because I don't actually know if you have my best, best interest at heart, but I feel like I have my best interest at heart for sure, so I'm just going to I'm going to take the wheel, okay? Cue Carrie Underwood. Just kidding. Or we don't think we need him, so we don't prioritize building a relationship with him until we're in desperate need. You know those times where you're like, I pray when I really need something, like when I forgot to study and I have a test in five minutes? or when my mom's really mad, or you fill in the blank, then, then we prioritize relationship with him real quick. But when we don't do it in the day-to-day, we're missing out. And we're afraid that when we finally do come to him, he's going to condemn us or shame us. And so we harden our hearts a little bit at a time, and we end up in the same cycles over and over and over again, just like the Israelites. But thankfully, right, we have the same good news that God gave to them, and we have hope. The entire Bible, actually, is about the hope that he gives us. It's full of many different stories of Jesus bringing dead things to life over and over and over again. And it's, it's all throughout Scripture. It's not just when Jesus shows up on the scene and raises Lazarus from the dead or dies and comes back to life himself. It's all throughout scripture where he is bringing dead and broken things back to life. And he proves it in the very next chapter of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 37, God gives him this crazy vision, okay? So vision is like when you're having a really intense dream and it feels super real, except that Ezekiel is awake and conscious, and he's just like somewhere else with the Lord right now. And in this vision, God takes Ezekiel to a valley that is filled with like tons and tons of dry bones. A little weird. And these are dry bones that have absolutely no life left in them. And God asks him, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's like, I don't know. I wouldn't think so, but you seem to think so, so I guess I trust your judgment, maybe. And so God says, tell them, them being the bones, this on my behalf. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord." And so Ezekiel says all of that to this valley of very dead, non-living, dry bones. And what I would imagine happens next feels like it could come out of a horror movie. Like all of these bones just kind of like rise up and start forming skeletons. And then there's tissue and muscles and skin. And all of a sudden, they're people. Like, tell me that's not a little bit creepy, right? I said Ezekiel gets a little weird at times. But again, this is a vision that he's having with the Lord to make a point. And it's not just like a few. Uh, Verse 10 says, 
they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. God doesn't do anything halfway. He's like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do all of it. So here's an exceedingly great army. God is showing Ezekiel here that he can and will bring dead things back to life. He's willing to prove that through a valley of old bones, if he's willing to prove that through a valley of old bones, how much more willing is he going to, is he to do that in our own hearts? See, he doesn't actually, he doesn't care about bones, honestly. And yet with us, he hears a lot. Right? We just sang about the, the love of God over and over and over again. He loves us deeply and unconditionally. He calls us sons and daughters. If he's willing to bring a valley of bones back to life, how much more willing is he, can, is he to do that in your own heart? In John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, The thief, a.k.a. Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He's saying that the whole point of him coming to earth as a person, God coming to earth as a person, was so that we would have life. That's a big deal. He longs to renew us, friends. And he came that we would have a full life in him. But he is the one that does the renewing. He said, I will give you a new heart. He's not saying, go find a new heart, bring it back, and then I'll install it. He's saying, I will do it. I'll do the work. I will put my spirit in you. He knows we can't do it ourselves. So he... He does all of the work, but he does ask for our participation in it. In Ezekiel 37, when he's talking to Ezekiel, he says, you go and speak over those bones. You, Ezekiel, participate in their resurrection. The Lord did the work, but it was entirely dependent on Ezekiel's obedience and trust in him. Like, can you imagine what that would be like for a second? If the Lord told you to do something that crazy, like he's never seen anything like this done before. He has no reason to expect what actually comes next. But Ezekiel's response is, you know, surely, you know, like if you're asking me to do this, you know what the end result is going to be. And I have trust in you. So why would I not? He believed God at his word. And then he responded. And sometimes, guys, we get stuck here. This is the part that we come back to over and over and over again. We prevent God from speaking resurrection life into us because he says something and we're like, mm, I don't really know about that. That's kind of iffy. I've never, I've never seen anything like that before. And I mm, kind of feel like you're pranking me right now. You know? And so we don't respond. We sit there and we stand off to the side and we're like, I'm just going to wait over here and see what happens. If Ezekiel had done that, we wouldn't have the story for one. But he would probably stand off to the side and wait for a very long time and then nothing would happen. And I think sometimes we have kind of that same mentality of like, if God wants to do something, then he'll probably just do it. He doesn't, I don't need to, I don't need to do anything. 
Like, he's got this. He's God. He's all-powerful, which is true. He is God. He is all-powerful. But he does ask for our participation. And it's, I mean, he does all of the work. He just asks us to show up, essentially. And I think sometimes we let this kind of intermix with the hardness of our hearts. And we kind of put the blame on God a little bit. We're like, see, God, if you wanted me, if you really wanted me to spend time with you, you probably would have woken me up like 30 minutes ago. But now I'm running late for class, so sorry. Or you would have canceled all my plans today or something. Like, you could have done something about it, right? We gotta, guys, we got to take responsibility for our own, our own walks with the Lord. This is what the Bible says, is that he longs to renew our hearts. But he won't do it if we're not submitted to him and if we're not willing to actually let him. And I think a great example of this in the Bible is King Saul. I don't know how much you know about King Saul. His story is kind of all throughout 1 Samuel. Um, but he is almost as well known as David because he is the predecessor of King David. So his story starts out pretty okay, actually. He's anointed to be king in chapter 10, and there's times where the spirit of God is on him and he does some good things. He's obedient to the Lord, good start. But over time, you start to see pieces of compromise, pieces of him hardening his heart over time, over his reign. He lets in compromise, jealousy, comparison, and eventually, God gives him some very clear instructions that he kind of obeys, but not entirely, which is a big problem. See, he's going to take this city that the Lord has said, hey, I want you to go, and I want you to take this city, and I, you can't leave anything alive. This city needs, like, they're bad, they're wicked, they're evil, they need judgment, so you're going to go and leave nothing left. No animals, no people. And he's like, yeah, 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 got it, cool. So he goes. And while he's there, some of his men in his army are like, hey, maybe we should actually keep some of the best, only the best, you know, the best goats, the best cows, whatever animals they had. Like, we should just keep those, but like as an offering for the Lord. So it's all good in the end. It's for the Lord. So we should probably do that. And Saul agrees. And so he gets confronted about this. This guy named Samuel comes to him and says, hey, why, why do I hear the sounds of animals when God told you to kill all of them? And he's like, well, um, it's for the Lord. We're going to sacrifice them to the Lord. It's okay. And he's like, well, what did the Lord actually say? Well, he kind of said to kill all of them, but those guys over there, they convinced me to do it. It's not my fault. And so in that, he, he doesn't own up to it. He's completely unrepentant. He puts the blame on other people. And it gets real bad. He makes excuses for why it's not that bad and it's not his fault. And eventually, he ends up rejecting God altogether very quickly after that. If you keep going through the, the story, David is anointed king, which Saul doesn't love because he is still alive. So he's like, this guy's going to come take my place. I'm just going to kill him, honestly. Like, I know he's the Lord's anointed, but I, I want to stay here on the throne. So 
I'm going to kill him. And he tries to do that on multiple occasions. And eventually the Lord's like, I can't, I can't stay with you anymore. And it says the spirit of God leaves him because he rejected God. And unfortunately, I think King Saul shows us very clearly what life with a hardened heart looks like. The evidence of a heart of stone is pride, hiddenness, unrepentance, selfishness, apathy, fear, defensiveness, and divisiveness, just to name a few. It's getting stuck in the same old habits and sin patterns over and over and over, and it's what comes out of us when we don't fully trust God or depend on him. Now, it's not to say that every single time we see one of those things, it means we've completely hardened our heart. Instead, it is an opportunity to draw near to God again and say, hey, I need help. I don't look a whole lot like you right now, but I want to. Help me. Because remember, guys, we can't renew ourselves. Titus 3, verses 3 through 5 make it very clear once again. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, and slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works that we did in our righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit in you, and you can ask him to come and in his mercy renew you again. Even though Saul had anointed him, God had anointed Saul, excuse me, Saul was unwilling to submit to his lordship. He chose to never again allow the Lord to renew his heart, and he paid very dearly because of it. On the other hand, there's David, right? The guy that comes after him who wrote the psalm that we talked about earlier. And David is known pretty widely by the man after God's own heart. This is the only person that's referred to that way. The evidence of a heart of a flesh, a heart renewed by God, is found all over scripture. But some of the things that we see that played out in David's life were humility, repentance, honesty, selflessness, trust, peace, joy, and compassion. That wasn't his life 100% of the time, but that's where he often landed. And all of these stem from a heart that trusts in the character of God and recognizes a need for him. It's a heart that's submitted to God, even when it doesn't make sense, and one that's willing to be obedient to him. And that, my friends, is where our hearts actually begin to come alive. I know it sounds very counterintuitive and super countercultural, but it is ne- it's necessary to see the fullness of life that Jesus talked about. In Matthew 5, verse 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He, his promise for us is that when we get, we get to see the one who created us, the one who loves us so unconditionally that he gave his life for us so that we can live. Who doesn't want that kind of relationship with the creator of the universe? The one that says, come near, come see me. I want to renew you. I want a relationship with you. I want you to know how much I love you. And this whole time, we've talked about why we need renewal for ourselves. But I think 
We also need to talk about why other people need our renewal. Because it's, it's about a lot more than just us. Our renewal is for the glory of God and for others to know him. It's to walk in obedience. If you go back to, this isn't in my notes, so i got to go back here a little bit. But the beginning um, passage that we read in Ezekiel 36, if you keep reading, he says, next page. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What he's saying is I have given you my spirit so that you can actually walk in obedience to me. It's not for our sake that he does that, although that is a huge benefit, but it's for his sake for his holy name. Another part of that verse says, um, I'm acting for, for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. So he's saying to Israel, you messed up, but I will renew you and then I will actually use you for my glory. The people that messed it up so bad to begin with are the very ones that he invites into restoration. His exchange of a heart of stone for a heart of flesh started with making things right for his own sake, but even in that, he redeems and restores us and asks us to participate in the process. He brings dead things to life all the time. Guys, he doesn't actually need us. And yet he invites us to be participants so that all of creation know that he is the one true God and he is drawing people back to himself. God doesn't need us, but the world does need us to be the people that God made us to be. Fully renewed, fully restored, and transformed people. Because when we do that, when we actually let him have his way in us, then we give those around us a glimpse into the kingdom of God through our lives. One final thought before we move into response. When David wrote Psalm 51, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me, he prayed for a pure heart, but he also prayed for a steadfast spirit. We, in and of ourselves, are honestly not very steadfast people, especially not apart from God. But I do think that steadfastness with the Lord paves the way for our hearts. Because we, we're talking about our hearts a lot, right? We're talking about the renewal of our hearts. And our hearts carry emotion, but that can be the only thing that it carries. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things who can understand it. So in all honesty, our hearts are, are little liars most of the time. So we can't actually trust them, which is why we need the renewal of Jesus. See, it comes full circle. But um, the theologian, Charles Spurgeon, wrote about this a long time ago, and he did this whole essay on Ezekiel 36. And in it, he said, some I know who exhibit a sort of counterfeit tenderness. When they hear a sermon, they're excited by it. And if it be about the world to come, the lifting up of the curtain of the future, they're affected by it for the time being. 
but then their goodness soon departs from them. They forget the next moment that which affected them a moment back. They're soon hot and soon cold, and they are inconsistent as the wind. That is a kind of tenderness also not to be desired. And this is a while ago, so some of the English doesn't translate super well um, to how we speak today. But what he's saying here is that when we're talking about a transformed heart, there's a kind of fake transformation that can happen that's led by emotion and disappears real quick. And that's not what we're after. We're after a steadfastness. That even when the emotion of the moment and the conviction is gone, we will still choose to submit ourselves before the Lord, not out of legalism and obligation, but out of a recognition that we need him. And we can do nothing apart from him. Would you go ahead and stand up with me? I feel like there are a lot of ways to respond tonight. And personally, I don't really care how you respond tonight to the Lord, as long as you respond to the Lord. And in all honesty, I'm a little bit hesitant to offer any suggestions of how to do that because if God's leading you somewhere, I don't want to get in the way. I want you to meet with the Lord in the way that he is leading you. But in case you need a couple of suggestions, here's a couple of things I felt like he was highlighting. I felt like um, as I was praying earlier that there may be some in here that need to deal with the lie that you don't need God that much or that he isn't trustworthy. And if that's you, my encouragement is to lean into that and lead your heart into believing the truth even if you don't feel it yet. And maybe that means grabbing a friend and saying, here's where I'm at. Can you just, can you remind me of what's true? Can you get into this with me? Because that's what we have community for. That's the gift that God has given us. And some of you may need to take a step back from the sidelines and actually do the thing that God has already asked of you. And it's an opportunity and not a demand from him. And I think a lot of times we'll we'll end up really surprised by the resurrection that he brings out of that. And finally, you may need to just sit in scripture, just like meditate on the word of God. And so if you're looking for a couple places to start, Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit. If you're like, man, I just need, I need this heart of stone to go back to being a heart of flesh. Just read through the um, Galatians 5 and the fruit of the spirit. And it will say, here's what that looks like. And I believe that God will highlight some of the things in there and say, hey, here's where we need to work on it and ask him for help in that. Or you can pull out Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes where God says, blessed are those who fill in the blank. And the promise that he gives with each of those is the reality of the kingdom of God. And so maybe we need to align our hearts with those tonight. Or maybe you just need to open up the Bible and just see where he takes you. But either way, engage with God tonight. Don't don't do the thing that we were talking about at the very beginning where you're like, I'm going to shut down. I'm going to avoid all the things. I don't want to deal with the hard stuff. Lean in to God. Lean into what he's doing in you. 
Yeah, so Jesus, we just acknowledge your presence, God. We thank you that you have renewal for us tonight. And not just for tonight, but for every time we come to you and say, God, we need help. God, we submit our lives to you again. Would you come? Would you take over our hearts, our minds, all of the places of us that don't look like you? God, we need you to come in. God, thank you that we need you. Thank you that you actually love our neediness for you. Thank you that you are exactly who you say you are and even better than we can imagine or believe. So would you come and would you meet with us tonight, God? Would you lead us? You know our hearts, God. You know the things that we need to um, to bring to you. So would you take us there, God? We want to be responders of you. In Jesus' name, amen.